Well, if you brought your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. But I may, uh, let me just mention our text this morning is found on the front of your bulletin. So if you want to look to the front of your bulletin, we're going to use Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 as our text as we think about homecoming. I want to share some facts about homecoming. Let me mention also, it's out in the foyer, there's a table set up out there that has some pictures of just some past activities and just uh, if you want to reminisce for a while, look at some uh, pictures. People really have changed over the years. And so uh, you might want to scan through those. It's quite interesting. But uh, just to give you some facts, there's a, there's a history book Mark Carden did of our church years ago, and I jotted down some things I found reading out of that little uh, out of the history book that he did. First of all, Mountain View Baptist Church was organized in the old Spears Chapel School that had been closed by the state on March the 20th, 1921. That was our organization date. Brother J.W. Austin was the first pastor from 1921 to September of 1924. They grew from 12 original members to 49 uh, when he had resigned as pastor. Mountain View elected their first deacons May the 16th, 1925. C.B. Messer Sr. and Elvin Rice were our first deacons. On April the 3rd, 1926, the church purchased the building and the property from the state for $100. The first homecoming was celebrated July the 2nd, 1927. And that was before we even had a cemetery. August the 12th, 1941, a revival collection was received. I thought this was pretty interesting. They gave the evangelist $5, and they gave the preacher 18 dozen jars of canned fruit. <laughs> the first offering plates were purchased by Brother Charlie Brown in 1942. And then uh, one acre of land was given on March the 20th, 1949, by Sister Spear for a cemetery. Training Union, we know it as Discipleship Training. Training Union was started on November the 5th, 1950. It was held each Sunday night, and Charles Messer was the first Discipleship Training Director. In 1951, the church voted to send 10% of the preacher's salary to the association missions. <laughs> Not looking good. Fruit. In 1953, the church voted to increase the pastor's salary. Here it is. To $35 per month, well, quote, as long as we have the money, if not, pay him whatever we can. <laughs> Unquote. 
1954, the pastor's salary was $420 a year. A new building was constructed May the 9th, 1959. The old school building then was sold to Henry Fowler. If you remember, some of you remember Brother Fowler, that building was moved next door and Later, we purchased that property back, and it became our youth center until the tornado came. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, uh, some of you may not have been aware that our church was organized in 1921 in a small community known as Spears Chapel, Alabama. That's what this community was referred to. Years ago, I looked at a where there was a, a, a one-room schoolhouse. You had them all around. You had them at Dime and here and uh, I think Tharptown and Bethel and all the communities had a schoolhouse. But, but uh, Frank Messer, our clerk, had a, uh, had a envelope that was postmarked, Spears Chapel, Alabama. So where there was a school, they had a postmark. And so the school closed... This one-room schoolhouse, formerly known as Spears Chapel School. No doubt after the school was closed, people would walk by and ride by in the wagon, and, and they'd say, well, I wonder what they're going to do with that old school building. Little did they know the mind of God and what God had in mind. Isaiah 55, verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. At that time, the people were inquiring about that old school. But at the same time, God was working in the hearts of Brother H.T. Camp and T.M. Smith and C.B. Messer Sr. God was preparing those and others for a, a God-sized task that would require faith and action. And that happened on March the 20th, 1921, 93 years ago this past March. In that old, closed, abandoned schoolhouse, a church was organized named Mountain View Baptist Church. Now, for a long time, people continued to refer to the church as Spears Chapel, referring to where the school, it was meeting in the old school, and so people would say, well, where do you go to church? Well, I go over at Spears Chapel. But to, at the very beginning, the church was named Mountain View Baptist Church. And suddenly that old schoolhouse took on a new nature. It took on a, a new name, Mountain View Baptist Church. It took on a new nature instead of reading and writing, writing and arithmetic. All of a sudden, the nature, people were hearing about sin, hearing about repentance, confession, salvation, and a Savior by the name of Jesus Christ. It was closed uh, at one time. 
the school was and empty, but now history would reveal that total attendance over the past 93 years at different times have reached over thousands of people coming together here to worship. So the question is, how did God take an abandoned schoolhouse and develop it into a progressive congregation of believers of Jesus Christ known as Mountain View Baptist Church? I jotted down some things I believe that, that we need to pay attention to. First of all, I believe that God has blessed this congregation in the past and I believe that he'll continue to bless it in the future because the people then and the people now uh, have a burning desire, first of all, to do the will of God. If you recall, it was God's will to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, and, and instructed Moses what his will was for his people and instructed Moses that he wanted him to be the leader to lead his people out of Egypt. However, that was God's will, but it had to be Moses' desire, and it had to be the Israelites' desire to follow the will of God in order for that to come to pass. It was God's will for the Gentiles to be reached with the gospel. God laid his hand upon Paul, Saul of Tarsus later became Paul, and Paul was willing to see that God's will was accomplished in his life, and he followed God's will and carried the gospel message to all Gentiles. That's how we as Gentiles heard the gospel. It was God's will to provide a, a witness for himself in this community, in this uh, city, in this county, and this state, and this country, the United States, and ultimately throughout the world. It was God's desire for a small group to follow his will. And it became his desire and their desire. They wanted to accomplish his will. And because of that, we're here today. Touching our community, touching our city, touching our county our state, and even the world. And whether this congregation exists tomorrow and the building reaches its capacity or it's, aban it's, a, it's abandoned or it's deserted will determine by our desire to follow the will of God, what God's will is for our life as a body of Christ. So we have to be willing to say, as a pastor and as a congregation, not my will be done, but your will be done. So we're here today because of those who came before us. They had a desire to follow God. Secondly, we're here today because those that came before us had a desire to worship God. They did whatever they had to do in order to meet on their worship day to worship. I was reading some time back about Simon, and I love Simon. And during the spawning season, we're told that Simon traveled great distances just to get back to their spawning ground. 
Nothing's going to stand in their way, regardless of the rocks and the waterfalls and swift water or swift current or salt water or fresh water. They're given all they have to get back to where they came from. It's kind of like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Jeremiah had a burning desire in his heart to rebuild the temple when God's people where God's people could meet for worship. And Brother J.W. Spears and his wife Hannah, T.J. Hutchison and his family, and Elvin Rice and his family, and C.B. Messer and his family, they were people looking for a place to worship their God. They made no lame excuse whatsoever to be at God's house. They would sacrifice whatever they had to sacrifice to be at God's house. I was thinking about years ago, I guess it was in the early 80s, we decided to build a parking lot. And I believe we cut 21 or 22 shade trees out of where the old building was. And we were pulling up stumps and I was out there one day, and they were grading the place off. And, and under one of the trees, there was a horseshoe. I've had this ever since then. And uh, I walked in, by the way, this morning with this. And someone asked me, do I think I need any luck during this worship service? But can you imagine, this old horseshoe, can you imagine what effort they had to take, had to make on Sunday morning to get the kids ready, to do everything they had to do, to hitch up the wagon, load their families down, make their trail, make their track to the church, and along the way stop and give other neighbors a ride to church and come and virtually stay all day long here at the church. Now, why'd they do that? They had a desire to worship their God. And now we find it difficult to get here at, at 945 in, a, in our automobiles and, and all the modern conveniences that we have. And if we make it, we make it. And if we don't make it, well, then that's all right. But not those that came before us. They'd sacrifice to be at God's house. And we're here today because of those who came before us. They had a desire to follow God's will. They had a desire to worship the Lord. And they had a desire to love people. That word love there is that sacrificial love. It's that self-sacrificing love, that agape love. They loved each other. They realized that the greatest thing on this side of heaven was the love they had for each other. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Keep on loving the brethren. John 4, verse 12 tells that this world as, that as we know it today will know that we're Christians, not because of large crowds and modern buildings and all the technology and all the programs we have and because of our worship style, the Bible says they'll know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. And those that came before us had love for each other. 
The old song puts it this way, we're one in the bond of love. We've joined our spirits with the Spirit of God. We're one in the bond of love. They were one in the bond of love. Those who came before us not only loved each other, but they loved the lost. Their mission was our mission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, known as the Great Commission, for us to go out to all the world and, and preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and to teach them to observe all things that God has commanded us. And so they loved the lost. And all through the years they taught us and passed us, passed down to us where we could realize the importance of loving the lost. We just had a team to come back from our association building team in Sasser, Illinois. We've, uh, our youth will be leaving this coming week, Wednesday, to go to Memphis to work in a homeless shelter and to serve food and to work in a food warehouse. We've got 27 and be leaving the first of the month uh, to go to Nicaragua, uh, you know, uh, to share the gospel. Uh, we have a TV ministry. We have a benevolent ministry. We just do day-to-day soul winning, and that's been passed on to us down through the years. We're who we are today because those who came before us had a desire to love lost people. And then we're here today because those who came before us was willing to make adjustments. Henry Blackerby said this. He said, Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert and be a part of what God was doing. God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert and lead God's people out of Egypt. He had to make some adjustments in his life. And so to follow God's will calls for us to make some adjustments. Adjustments in the past, doing away with an old building perhaps, beginning afternoon, evening services, adding education space, expanding the parking lot, enlarging the worship space, or more, you know, recent adjustments. Uh, deciding to rebuild after a tornado. Had people to come to me and say, are y'all going to rebuild? And we were at that time about 90 years old. I said, why shouldn't we rebuild? Why shouldn't we rebuild? We had to make some adjustments, but our history as a church is to make adjustments. So we make adjustments for our space and our needed space for our children and needed space for adults and, and worship space and fellowship space. Even having, uh, you know, it may call for whatever we need to make the adjustments to carry on ministry. Uh, what we'll be doing as far as long-term goes, God has a tremendous future ahead for us as a congregation, if we're willing to make some adjustments. So the question today is this, are we willing to follow God's will like those who came before us? Do we have a desire, and will we have a desire to worship God like those who came before us? Are we willing to love each other and love the lost like those who came before us?
Are we willing to make the adjustments in order to do the will of God? This congregation is 93 years old. It has a bright future. If we'll be faithful, and my prayer is that uh, God will find us faithful. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just for a few moments to focus upon the history of this congregation. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in the past. And Lord, thank you for what you have planned for us in the future. And Father, we pray that we'll continue to, to turn to you and to lean on you, to put our faith and trust in you. Because it's you that is able to do things that are unheard of, that we can't even imagine. And so, Father, you tell us in your word that you're able to do those things. We'll put our faith and trust in you. Thank you for those who have, who have gone on before us, their faithfulness. Thank you for what you have for us to do in the days to come. We have a bright future, and we thank you for that. Thank you for how you've kindly put us back together again. And Lord, it's only you that could have, could have done that. And so we recognize that this morning. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.